Welcome into Two for One Drafts. This is Austin Gale with Mike Renner, uh, PFS Rookies and Draft Prospects Podcast. We are going to be diving into a ton of good things today. Uh, we have our Raise a Glass segment where we talk about some of the best prospect performances from the weekend. And similarly, we have our Rolling Rook segment where we talk about our top rookie performances from the weekend. Blackouts for the bad rookies mm-hmm. and then pour one out for the bad prospects. Let's just get right into the names. Super excited for this one. On the ticker below, you will see the latest mock draft courtesy of PFF's Mike Renner. Let's go ahead and raise the glass to our guy from Oklahoma, though. Jalen Hurts played outstanding to start, you know, in, in this game and really a good performance. What has been a Heisman worthy race for Jalen Hurts, really? Yeah. What did he go? 16 of 17, only one missed throw on the day. What I like, though, what I thought I saw in this one that I hadn't really seen in a lot of this year. Now he has, you know, big ass numbers, yards per attempt off the charts, but he hasn't been able to, he hasn't been making big throws down the football field to get those yards per attempt. It's been great the intermediate range. He's had great, you know, some dig routes, slants, that sort of thing that have gotten a lot of yards after the catch. But I thought that in terms of his downfield passes, you know, the vertical leads, the special throws that you have to make when you get to the NFL, there's only so many times you can hit that intermediate stuff before people start squatting on it. He made in the third quarter, broke the pocket, had a back shoulder throw on the sideline. I thought was yes, fantastic. That, was nice. that one was great. Had a, a nice little a crossing route that turned into a deep crosser that he put on the money. Now he's still a little slow. Some uh, all these plays basically came after a while. He needed some time in the pocket for them to develop on all these throws. But I do think he made. Uh, there, he was responsible for three big time throws in this game. Uh, I, I thought it was his best performance from that perspective in terms of special, you know, the nice, accurate ball placement down the football field. So when I looked in this game, I watched all the throws downfield, and I feel like he. Do, I wrote this in the notes here. You just get so many open throws at Oklahoma, yes. like that scheme and that receiving core oh, no. is always open. Specifically, you know, even like 10, 15 plus yards down the field, he's finding guys wide open, cutting over the middle mm-hmm. of the field. When you're evaluating a quarterback, and I think specifically at Oklahoma, where you do start to see a lot of those throws, like we saw with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, what does he need to do above that to kind of like get your attention even further because I think throwing to a wide open CD lamb is a lot easier than some other quarterbacks have it right now well I think there's still you can evaluate the ball placement of where he's got a guy through if there's a crossing route and you hit him in stride you know out in front that ball placement is still even if the guy defender was two feet away from him would still be a completed pass now if it's way by on his back hip and the guy stops then you can you know credit we try to credit you know that for not being an accurate throw not being a good throw because if a defender was in any sort of reasonable defending position that ball would not be completed so i think you still have to evaluate that uh but i, I do think there is something to also being able to find that open guy you know and uh, yes, Oklahoma schemes you a lot of open throws, but I think Jalen Hurts over the course of his career has been good at find whether it's if you don't find that open guy, don't make a bad decision with the football. He's avoided those sort of plays. And so I think it's something we've talked about a lot in this podcast. When you have that sort of running ability that Jalen Hurts has and combined with his accuracy and decision making, I think there's a path to success for him in the NFL, similar to a Lamar Jackson. Now he's not Lamar Jackson athletically, but I think there's a path to success in a the right offense for him. I want to bring up another quarterback that is in this conversation, but we haven't brought up a ton on this podcast. Jacob Eason of Washington. He goes into this game against Oregon in a losing effort. Yes. Earns a single, his highest single game grade of the year. Ends up earning a 90.5 passing grade. And then you look at his splits here. Under under pressure, a 64.4 passing grade. Completed just three passes from seven attempts on eight dropbacks. Not under pressure. This is where he really made his money. 92.2 passing grade on 23 dropbacks. That split, very interesting. Kind of that big sack he took was a big part of that loss. Yeah, so I, I, this to me was still, even though he didn't get the comeback, that last drive sputtered out. To me, not really his fault that the drive sputtered out. He did about as well as I could have expected him to do, given the conditions. Uh, this was, to me, the most impressive game. From a scouting perspective, the throws he made 
Uh, I, I love the way he played in this game against a fairly good Oregon defense. Uh, you look at that last drive, you know, the, the before the fourth down play, the, the one that ended it, the sack, not really his fault. It's a play action pass that they run the perfect blitz for that the running back barely picks up, but Easton has to break out. You'd like to see him maybe get the ball away there, but I can't really blame him. I think he still might have been in the pocket, uh, so you can't necessarily throw it away. So he takes that sack there, but then the very next play hits a deep dig about four or five yards short of the line to gain perfectly placed throw in timing. Love that throw, you know, cold as ice needed it on a, I think it was a third and 20 at that point needed to get some, a good chunk of that yards back. And then the slant he throws is in perfect position. Just a great play by the corner there from Oregon to get in the way, break that pass up. So I, I can't really put that on him. The one throw I loved was the post touchdown play action pass. His eyes go immediately to that deep middle safety to see where he's, is he biting up on the crosser that's going up in front of the post route? He saw the safety come up and without any hesitation whatsoever, puts it right over the top. Perfect placement on that ball. That's what you love to see is because when you have a guy with a big arm like Eason does, is he going to take the good chances with the football down the football field? Mm -hmm. You know, not not just throw the football down the football field just because you have the big arm. Make sure you can take those calculated chances. I think that's what we've seen from Eason here at Washington. Uh, and he's playing about as well as you can expect. One of the biggest things was we're just not going to be high on any guy with a small sample size. You know, four or five games is not going to move the needle for us uh, that much. But I think he's playing his way, uh, you know, a step of two behind Joe Burrow in terms of what he's done this season to help his draft stock. But he's playing his way into the first round for sure. You know, eight, eight, game, eight weeks into the year, a 90.5 passing grade for him. He's played at a very high level, but still an underclassman. Do you think yeah. he, do you think he returns to Washington or do you think he's playing himself into a way to commit to the draft and, and go to the NFL? So it's not like it's his first year of play. You know, he did play his freshman year at Georgia. Now he's, you know, sat out a few years since then and, uh, you know, transferred schools, obviously. But I do think that if you objectively look at the two respective draft classes, you come back, you already have two guys, you know, are pretty much in the top five, top 10 conversation in fields uh, in, in Lawrence for next season for 2021 draft. Yes, you could improve your stock, but if he plays like this, you know, the down the stretch, I, I don't think he's necessarily going to ever jump Lawrence or fields. I, I think he's would comfortably be in the quarterback, the top 10 of this year's draft. Whenever you're in the top 10 of a draft, uh, I, I think you end up going. So I, I do think he will end up going to the draft when it's all said and done. Now I'm not putting him in the top 10, not putting him in the first round as of yet. But like I said, if he plays like this down the stretch, I very well see him jumping to the NFL. Let's dive, to, uh, let's dive into some running backs. I got some mm-hmm. running backs to bring up here. We're going to raise some a glass too. Um, we're going to start with Jordan Mason of uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Tech. They no longer run the wing T. And this guy, six foot one, 220 pounds. He's, a, he's an interesting body type for the running back position. He doesn't look super athletic, but this past week against Miami, Florida, 19 broken tackles. And in the week yeah. prior against Duke, 11 broken tackles. He has an right. 88.7 rushing grade on the year so far. But when you tra- pop on the tape, what do you see from him? He almost looks like Latavius Murray in his running style wow, in that he's like comp. tall, uh, not overly large and tall like a Leonard Fournette. Tall, but like big uh, and just kind of makes guys miss every now and then when you don't think you should be making guys miss. He's running a lot higher, doesn't have a traditional running back body. But like you said, 19 force missed tackles this past week. And one of the craziest numbers I've ever seen on only 20 carries. I think that might That's be insane. the highest range. I, that probably is the highest total for anyone with, you know, uh, 20 carries or fewer in a game that we've ever seen. He just was making Miami defenders miss left and right this past week. And that's been the theme for him on 96 attempts this year. He has 55 broken tackles. So he is very much elusive, even though he's got that almost David Montgomery thing going on. It's like, he's not fast. He's not necessarily explosive and the cuts don't look anything special, 
but guys just miss and guys just bounce off. And if you do it for long enough, if you if you keep making guys miss for as much as he has this season, there's probably uh, you know where there's smoke, there's fire. There's probably something to his running style that's making uh, all these guys bounce off him. A former three star recruit, you know, broke his school at, in Tennessee's rushing record. I mean, this is a guy that. Redshirt as a freshman in 2017, or redshirt in 2017, and was a redshirt freshman just last year. He's a redshirt sophomore in 2019. I think when media pops off, is, I think you said it best, is it doesn't look like he's supposed to be enforcing so many missed tackles because yeah. he's not freakishly <laughs> elusive or athletic, but guys just bounce off I mean, he is freakishly elusive somehow. Yeah. <laughs> somehow, somehow he's freakishly elusive, but it's, uh, it's an interesting guy. Definitely one you want to keep watching and seeing kind of how this guy progresses. Yeah, so him compared to the next guy on our list here who had a big game, A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon looks like guys should bounce off him. Yeah. He's, you know, six foot, 250. Uh, runs in the four fours. Some guys should be bouncing off of him. Uh, guys don't look like they should be bouncing off Jordan Mason. But right now, if I'm comparing the two as prospects, I'd rather have Jordan Mason. He's got a little bit more. Uh, I just like his running style better. He makes something out of nothing more than uh, AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon, when he has a big crease, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. He's very dangerous when he gets up a full head of steam. Guys are not going to. Guys are going to struggle to tackle him regularly. But making something out of nothing, A.J. Dillon, just, that's not what he does. And the reason he doesn't, and we'll, let's talk A.J. Dillon now. This past week against NC State, he earned an 80.0 rushing grade and 82.4 overall grade. He had nine broken tackles and 12 broken tackles in, against Louisville two weeks before. Mm-hmm. He played very well in this game, but I think when you turn on the tape, you do see he stops and starts way too often. And when he does stop, it takes him a long time to get back going. And I think you see these gains that where if momentum is slowed early in the down, he doesn't have the same success as maybe Jordan Taylor would have or other running backs. That's the biggest thing, and that's what you hate to see translating from college to the NFL uh, is stopping and starting, pa- stopping your feet behind the line of scrimmage because the holes you see in college are I – I don't care where you're at. Basically, they're going to be bigger than the holes you see in the NFL. It just mm-hmm. gets more difficult to run at the NFL level. The line of scrimmage gets moved backwards more than it gets moved forwards at the NFL level. That's just a fact of life. And so if you're stopping your feet in the backfield when you see penetration – you're only going to do it more at the NFL level. And if you don't have elite stop start ability, if you're not, if you're not LaShawn McCoy, mm-hmm. you better not be stopping your feet in the backfield because you have to be able to be at full speed or be close to full speed to be breaking tackles at the NFL level. And uh, A.J. Dillon, when he stops, it's basically over for with his running style. He can't afford to be patient like mm-hmm. other backs like Le'Veon Bell who can stop yeah. and start so quickly. And with A.J. Dillon, I was watching the game, they ran some outside zone concepts. And when he had to kind of pitter-patter in the back to find his hole, you kind of didn't see him have the same mm-hmm. success when they were pulling line around and designating holes on counters and powers. I think he's not as scheme versatile as other backs are because he can't 100%. stop and start. Yeah. Um, let's go to Travis Etienne. This is a guy that's kind of... He li- can stop his feet in the backfield yeah. all he wants. I <laughs> this don't guy care. can do kind of whatever he yeah. wants. Uh, and, and Travis Etienne is kind of lighting the draft community on fire. It's a lot of a running back that everyone is kind of falling in love with. And this dude, these past two weeks, he's been, quite honestly, outstanding. An 87.9 overall grade against Florida State. An 87.5 overall grade against Louisville. He has been fantastic, breaking a ton of tackles, 18 forced missed tackles over the past two weeks. He's definitely one willing to raise a glass for. He has been Mm. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he just he is the most explosive running back in the country. He is, I think, the comp from in the draft guy was C.J. Spiller. But like, if you don't remember, there was a year with C.J. Spiller in the NFL, even with the Bills. Yes. Looked like one of the best running backs of all time. Had the at the time, the PFF record for elusive rating in the NFL. Uh, for a single season with what he did there that year at the Bills. Always had injuries, uh, you know, was a little smaller, didn't end up working out for him uh, long term in his career. But I think that is 
ETN, if he stays healthy, that's what who he could be on a more consistent basis at the NFL level. He is just a monster to bring down. He is one of the fastest running backs in the NFL and one of the most elusive running back, or excuse me, in college football and one of the most elusive running backs in college football. That's a pretty darn good combo. And at least four force missed tackles on the ground for every game he's played in this yeah. year. And I wanted to look at the receiving ability as well. Over the past three games, he's had 10 targets, no, eight targets and eight receptions for a good chunk of yards. But it's still something, though, with ETN that you want to I see know. get better. You because you, you, when you're projecting running backs to the NFL, and I'm sure there are going to be draft pundits that want Travis Etienne in the first round of this NFL draft. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to call his name, write his name on the card for the first round, yeah. the guy better catch the football. He better be able to be targeted 50, 60 times and make, you know, be damaging at the NFL level if you're going to call his name in the first round. And, and it's just something that we're not going to see mm-hmm. at Clemson. Clemson does what they do offensively, and it's not throw to running backs, it's throw to the wide receivers, get the ball of Lawrence's hands quickly. Use the screen game to the wideouts. They're not going to be featuring him in the passing game anytime soon. So unfortunately, we're not going to see it. Uh, He has had drop issues in the past, but I think you trust that level of athlete. If he can literally just uh, catch a ball at all, uh, get it to him in space at all, I I think we feel good about him being good after the catch in space, uh, that sort of player. Now, he's not going to be uh, split him wide and throw him slants, most likely, but I don't think you need that to be uh, to still bring value to the passing game at the NFL level. I know we've said this before, but I'm going to bring it up again. If you're a college running back, you have to find ways to hopefully at least. Yeah. Obviously, like Jonathan Taylor literally did it this year. I feel like went to his coaching staff and was like, let me do stuff in the passing game. And they even this past week used it. I mean, he had two drops this past week. Uh, it could be on our uh, poor one out segment a little bit later, but. Uh, he had two drops this past week, but he has been used as a, they've split him wide and ran him on running back routes. And I think even with a couple drops this past week, he still bumped his draft stock up a lot just via doing that. Uh, ETN, he's not going to happen. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen with ETN at this point. Man, I, you know, we, we've, I was pulling together some of the higher, higher graded players from this past week, and I, I ran over this guy's name, threw on the film. Justin Matabuke of Texas A&M, this was my favorite performance of the week. It yep. was absolutely fantastic. Seven total pressures against Ole Miss, a 92-point pass rush grade, 92.0 pass rush grade. He's had two or more pressures in every game this year, but this by far was his best game. I think he was explosive off the snap. He flashed great athleticism from the interior. He was winning pass rush snaps quickly from nose. Zero technique, beating the center yep. very quickly. I, I think this guy really jumped on my radar, at least, of a guy who I haven't watched him a ton in previous weeks. I watched him this week, and I'm very excited to see him move forward. Yeah, he was a guy who... Coming into the season, and we had ranked as a top five D tackle uh, in college football in terms of going to the 2020 draft. 44 pressures last year, uh, 79.7 pass rushing grade. Just hadn't sort of seen that dominance you would expect. Didn't really take the next step or hadn't really taken the next step heading into this Ole Miss game. Ole Miss interior, though, just got sauced. I mean, they had no chance. And it wasn't just seven pressures. It was saucing. Seven seven pressures is good. Uh, Obviously that sounds very good. It's the quickness with which uh, he was getting home though. Like they just, they had no chance that Ole Miss offense line, the Ole Miss offense was decimated by Matabuke himself. He had the forced fumble that then ended up being a touchdown. That was one of the changing game changing plays in that game. So more of that please from him, because like I said, we had him as a top five DT going into the year, kind of disappointed heading into this past week. We can see more of that down the stretch. I'd feel comfortable about, He's probably still a day two player for us, but I do. This DT class is starting to shape up. Uh, I think it's starting to be 
fairly better than I thought it was heading into the season in terms of the talent that'll be in this draft. If everyone declares, now he's a redshirt junior. He doesn't have to declare at this point. Before we jump off Matt of UK, I wanted to dive into his background a little bit. Texas born, five star recruit according to Scout, four star by rivals, twenty four seven sports and ESPN. This guy was the honor roll in high school, played basketball and track. I do like that background. Mm. I'm just reading into a little you, bit, but I do, do like the that background. I do like that background. I do like the star status there, and I think he mm-hmm. does show four-star, five-star athleticism on tape, at least what I saw against Ole Miss. It was a saucing. Ole Miss did, <laughs> didn't, have a, didn't have a dog in the fight, I would say. It was really tough for them to kind of stick with his first step. He won When he won, yes. he won quickly, and I think that's what you want to see, though, from that interior defensive line position. Six mm-hmm. foot three, 304 pounds. I think he's a name to watch moving forward against future matchups in, in the SEC. Um, let's go ahead and bring up Utah's... I, this is a guy we brought up a, a little bit here, a very polished edge defender for Utah, Bradley Anae. He has another good game. He kind of continues to impress for us he's not like a freaky athlete he's not like a superstar athlete but he does get by he can bend around the edge and he has great hands that's what you love about him first he has yeah. such good hands yeah we've talked about him his hands are great if anytime he goes up against uh you know younger offensive tackles guys who are a little inexperienced he tends to just dominate mm-hmm. because he is so uh so good with that and i think we've seen a lot of people associate you know a lack of top tier athleticism with a lack of uh, ceiling and to some degree that's true all the guys who are the elite of the elite the uh, von millers khalil max they are uh freaky freaky athletes but i don't think that just because you don't have uh, top tier athleticism necessarily means that you're capped to just being a role player backup at the NFL level. I think you'd still be a high quality, even Pro Bowl level starter, even without that athleticism, with other sort of traits to make up for it. And like you said, in A's hands, about as good as it gets in the country. Like they are legitimately as good as anyone else's that I've seen in college football. And so this past week, nine pressures, three sacks, six hurries uh, against Arizona State. So, uh, I think I've liked what I've seen from him in terms of the leap he's made and the progression, the fact that, you know, even with being so technically sound already, he's still getting better and still being more productive on a snap for snap basis over the course of his career every single year is very encouraging. It's something that we've talked about a lot in this podcast. Something you'd like to see is just the continued upward trend. Guys getting better every year. Absolutely. Okay. I'm not calling this guy a my guy, but when I do watch him, I, I, I feel like I'm hopeful. I, I, I feel like I feel for him. Osa Odigizua of UCLA. This guy, just to dive in his background a little mm-hmm. bit, he wrestled over 40 times, over 40 matches in his high school career and never lost. He One-on-ones and never losing is kind of incredible. I kind of like that about him. But then this past week, an 88.9 overall grade against Stanford, nine total pressures. But I'll say this. What Bradley Anae has in his hands, he has the exact <laughs> opposite. He has no technique. He looks like, honestly, he doesn't really know what he's doing or what's being asked of him. He goes out there, flings his hands like a blender, kind of, but they're fast. And they, yeah. he comes off quickly, and he'll beat snaps kind of quickly like that. But I look at this guy as a, as a project. Someone, if you bring in in day three, because he has this athleticism and these tools, mm-hmm. that if you got someone that could just teach him what is going on, like this is the game you're playing, this is second down, these are the, this is the technique you need to use <laughs> on passing downs, I think he could be a positive, a plus contributor. And I do like the production we saw against Stanford, but those nine total pressures, I'll tell you right now, none of them were based off pure, you know, pure technique or pure wins off the top. It's, it's, he's a freaky athlete, and I think if taught well, taught technique, yeah. he could be better. Yeah, the amount of times where you just see him with like, He's a lineman has both has him locked up and his hands are kind of just like yes. fl- flailing back to side to side. You're just like, what is he? What's he doing? <laughs> I don't it's almost like comedic. Doing, that, is, but that is kind of the thing. It's just like he is winning so much already with just pure athleticism. He was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list heading into the year. 
uh, in terms of, you know, just his explosiveness. Uh, he is one of the most explosive defensive linemen in the country. And I think he's also kind of out of position right now. He's like 275 playing interior, like three tech or nose tech for UCLA, mm-hmm. playing in a frog stance a lot of the time there. Dude, just yeah, like, that's another not, thing too. <laughs> it's not, it's not necessarily the best, most ideal scenario for him to be winning, but he still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's encouraging. Like you said, He's not going to be a day one guy because it's just not happening on the football field right now. He's not even close. Like if he plays, if he stepped foot on an NFL football field tomorrow, he would get absolute his butt handed to him. He Murdered. would never win at all. But at some point, he will. The coaching that it will start to take hold. You hope because, like you said, the wrestling background. He knows how to uh, grapple. At least you yeah. know, he knows how to but hold also, another man and throw him to the side or throw him. To, I don't know stuff like that. I so, mean, this is a guy where you know you you, you see he has this ceiling. You mm-hmm. see he has this potential because he's this freaky athlete. He starts every snap with four, two hands down when no one does at the NFL level. <laughs> and uh, there's one pass rush snap where he wins actually, and he comes out the snap and it looks like he just he just like flings things Scissor. around and gets there Kicks. somehow. Yeah. It's it's wild. But this is a guy that if you sat down and talked to him. I I know you hate me when I bring up like talking mm. to players and interviews and all that stuff. But if Let's you found it. out that this guy, you felt like competent enough and knowing enough that he could get better, you know, because if you talk to him, he yeah. doesn't sound like someone who's actually going to be able to like turn feedback into results. Then yeah. it's a whole different issue. But if he's a guy that you can tell would get better with proper coaching, I think he does make sense as a project worth investing into. And it's also worth noting, obviously, his brother was Oa Dugizua, yes. second rounder for the Giants, who... Did not quite work. No, did level. not pan out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I wouldn't recommend taking Osa in the second round. But that's right not, now. yeah, I was going to say, but that's that's unfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Self brother scouting is not, it's Don't unfair to him. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Cameron Dantzler, the Mississippi State cornerback that I think graded Lats. well in 2018 with us, goes against LSU here, and he has a pretty good day. The only cornerback, I think, this whole entire year that didn't just get annihilated by the <laughs> Burrow, Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson sort of. Uh, steamroller mm-hmm. that LSU is only was it two or four targets on the day, 15 yards in his coverage. Yeah, so he had a, a missed tackle in coverage, but I th- he almost had a pick on Jamar Chase down the sideline. Press runs with him nicely, perfect. The things we've said about him, and uh, I I've loved that this year he's added a little more zone feel to his game. So I, I think what he did against LSU is a tape you'll come back to next spring. A lot of people will and be impressed with it. Was it was about as good as I've seen any corner do against LSU this year. And on the opposite side of the ball, Christian Fulton also had a very good day against Mississippi oh, State. Yeah. Fulton, I mean, he was going up against the Mississippi State receiving core. That's just not great. And mm-hmm. he was impressed 16 of his 23 snaps. So that's his bread and butter. Uh, and when he's impressed, it's just it's lights out for a lot of different wide receivers. You got to be pretty damn good to be beating Fulton one on one in press coverage. But what I also loved was got a pick in this game, playing a little cover two. Jams his man, perfectly executed, jams his man, immediately gets his eyes back inside, jumps the out route from the slot, just textbook zone coverage from him. So while he's great in press, also has, you know, those sort of is more than just a press man cornerback. One of the things we said of Greedy Williams last year, kind of just limited to a press man sort of scheme. I don't think that's the case for Christian Fulton. Fulton earned a 91.0 coverage grade in this one. Only allowed one reception from five targets for 15 yards, two pass breakups and the INT you spoke to. Um, let's go ahead and move forward here. We're going to go into pour one to out. our pour one out segment. Pour this is where we start pouring some out for some of the bad prospect performances of the weekend. Some good names on this one. Let's start with the two quarterbacks, oh. Jordan Love and Jake Fromm. Again, back-to-back pour outs yes, for both. Yes, back-to-back pour outs for both. Start with Jordan Love. He had a terrible, dismal passing grade this past week. As you say, it goes up against Nevada. And now I think it was snowing there, cold. DBU. Whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and going up against DBU again. Back-to-back DBUs he's facing. You give him a pass for the LSU game. No one's going to light up LSU's secondary this year. Yeah. 
can't give him a pass for this one. Four turnover worthy plays, uh, ugly, ugly fumble. And he was just staring down routes. I mean, he stared down two, uh, only finished with one pick in the day, but he stared down two routes down the football field two uh, sort of slower developing routes. And he's just looking at him for two seconds, three seconds, still makes the throw. Guy comes off, two safeties come off on under the zone. One guy picked one of them. One guy dropped the other one. But dude, they were bad, bad decisions. That at this point, he has more touch. He has more interceptions than touchdowns. He's not coming out this year. Yeah, you can't. You cannot come out this year and expect to be drafted highly. No, no GM. I don't care what the traits look like. A GM, I don't think, is drafting a guy who threw more TDs than touchdowns. Actually, wait, did Josh Allen do that last year at Wyoming? Yeah, I should look that up done. right he could now. could have done that. I would take a look. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's simply, but it, it's been, with him, it's been volatility. He has the big plays, but he has too many of the negative plays as well, which are in love. It's hard mm-hmm. to fall in love with that kind of traits so oh. he's got there. Uh, Kentucky. No, even Josh Allen went only 16 touchdowns to six picks. So I, oh. I don't think... Jordan Love is He's coming out. He's actually a safe quarterback now. <laughs> um, with Jake Fromm, uh, let's let's start it with this though. It was a torrential downpour. Yeah, it, he he was throwing in, in in a ton of rain. I think it was people, you know, a lot of drop balls on both sides of the ball. Lynn Bowden Jr. was playing quarterback for Kentucky. It was tough, but he only completed nine passes from twelve attempts for thirty five yards. But thirty five yards. That's bad. Hard. It's like how many how many QBs who get drafted again in the first round mm-hmm. had a game the year before where they threw for 35 yards, <laughs> like maybe like in the eighties that happened, but dude, 35 yards. Like that's, that's kind of the thing we've been saying though, uh, with from is that he gets so protected. Like that's a W mm-hmm. QB win with 35 yards for him. That's kind of been him his whole career. It's like, it doesn't really matter how he does. Georgia just wins because they have a great defense and a great running game and a great offensive line. Yeah. So he's kind of just, there's no pressure on him at that point. And when there was pressure in the one game, there was pressure on him, South Carolina, and he has to make this comeback or he has to go out and win it for them at the end. 57 dropbacks doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, his lowest graded game of the season so far. So I think that's the thing that people are just going to keep coming back to. And he's just going to get the game manager label. And he has to shake that if he really wants to you know, join the upper echelon of the quarterbacks in this class. Do you take a game manager in the first round? That's that's a tough tough question. No, I mean, it is. Uh, And I think if you're at the back end of the first round and you're someone like the Patriots or uh, not say the Saints, if if Bridgewater uh, moves on or something like that, where you're a team that has an old guy and you could use someone to develop. I wouldn't hate it, but I think Fromm's definitely more of a day two guy at this point uh, if he were to come out this year. And again, true just, junior. You know, but but the thing is, he's also a true junior. When you're comparing him to Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow would have looked like ass two years ago mm-hmm. if he played. You know, he's looking way better than His Joe Burrow. His ass came did. out in that game. You know, <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> but it literally, it looked Burrow. like that if mm-hmm. he would have played. So, no, I, I do think <laughs> uh, there is still hope for Fromm, but I, I think he's a very, another guy, love and Fromm, strong cannons come back next year. That's good to know. Good to know. Let's go to John Hightower, the uh, the Boise State wide receiver that has not had a great year to start the 2019 season. And then he kind of had another bad one. It's not been that bad, though. It hasn't well, been that bad. He's but been a good-ish deep. He's a deep threat. Mm-hmm. Deep threats come and go. And this one he went. Yeah. So against BYU, five targets, two receptions for 11 yards. He also had a drop. And, and one of the interceptions thrown in that game was targeting him. He didn't have any forced missed tackles after the catch. Obviously, with just 11 yards, only five yards after the catch as well. John Hightower, just a deep threat. If you if you're if you're if you're saying that about him, I mean, does this is this a guy that needs to get better in other areas? If you're going to start to consider him taking him on day two, even. Um. <sighs> 
That's tough. I think deep threats, again, if you're going to win somewhere, win deep. Win deep is better than winning uh, underneath. <laughs> my mom, than that was my senior quote, actually. <laughs> yeah. <If you're> win. <laughs> oh, okay, but yes, he's. I, I think he wins deep. I think he's still uh, unpolished in a lot of different ways. Uh, and again, if you're a deep threat, sometimes you're just not going to, you're going to put up a stat line like that. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to live with it. Uh, but the two games before he went over hundred yards. So uh, I do think that, uh, he's just inconsistent at this point. And at six one eighty three, he is limited. So I, I do think it right now, I put him in the fourth round. That's probably about where he, where I feel comfortable. He's probably not a day two guy right now. He's probably still a day three guy, but, uh, I like I like his deep ability a lot better than some guys who are like faster than him, but uh, don't necessarily have the route running or like the nuance to the routes that Hightower does. If you're gonna win, win deep. Two for one drafts podcast. Um, let's go ahead and go to oh, dude, that. Should be like our tagline. <laughs> like one drafts. If you're gonna win, win deep. I like it. Cole Van Lennon, Lannon um, of of Wisconsin. He's a guy that on the podcast before we talked about having a great game. He had an 85.4 overall grade against Michigan State. Only allowed one pressure in this one, but this past week against Illinois in an upset loss. He ends up earning a 58.1 overall grade, 50.7 pass blocking, allowed two pressures and got beat a couple other times, two penalties as yeah. well. This was not a good game for him. I think that's kind of who he is. Going up Michigan State, their DNs, more power guys, more uh, win with their hands. That's that he can hold up against. Lost against some quicks against Illinois. He just has slow feed. His base is very inconsistent in his pass sets, which is actually kind of rare. I feel like his... His feet and the way he uses his hands is usually Wisconsin offensive linemen, I feel like, are better coached and are better at that. But he'll get his feet right next to him. He lost on a spin move in this game where I think his feet were like touching each other by the time he oh, wow. made contact with uh, the defensive end, which is bad. That's not where they want to be. You want them, you know, that strong base. And so uh, his feet are all over the place. Uh, I don't think he has and he doesn't have, you know, the natural athleticism. He's not uh, an Andrew Thomas by any means in terms of to be able to make up for that lack of technique at this point. So he's he's still a day three guy for us. He's one of those guys, though, Steve Palazzolo, who we talk about a lot, who who, who fancies himself a draft guru mm-hmm. as well, uh, will always throw me a, oh, hey, this offensive lineman's 6'5", and grading well at tackle, see if he's any good. Van Lannan was one of those guys last year. I'm like, hey, he's kind of not the, not not the greatest. Great. But wow. so Steve Palazzolo's DDP guy. Every podcast. But when Steve Palazzolo said that about Ryan Ramchick about three years ago or four years ago, whenever that was, oh, man. I was like, oof, okay, we got yeah, Ryan Ramchick, just yeah. to kind of jump on him so far in the NFL, this year has been insane. Doing yeah, it against J.J. Right Watt, Khalil Mack, he has been fantastic yeah. to start this year. Let's go that to uh, Levi Amuzarike. Yeah. And you look at you look at him and how he's performed this year. His best game came against Stanford, the same game or same team that Osa Odigizua had his best yeah. game, that interior offensive line for Stanford, getting good. a beating from some guys that I don't think have a ton of tools right now or not tools um technique yes these, both so. of these guys are sloppy but athletic you know good size with levi and Wuzrike, i'm calling it hey, this guy looks like he's returning to washington yes. next year it doesn't look like he's ready to kind of announce himself for the 2020 draft i 100 agree uh, i thought i'd see i thought you'd see that leap from him this year we tagged him as a breakout after, candidate, yeah, but after, he hasn't taken that step. 90 point i mean he's still got an 82.4 overall grade defensively i mean he's still been good it just hasn't been as a pass rusher, game in, game out sort of dominance. Only has three combined sacks plus hits on the interior, which is just it's not it's not game changing. He's not he's not making plays there for that Washington interior. And he's one of the most athletic DTs in the country. I mean, this guy has when you see the wins, when you see the high level stuff, you're like, whoa, that was that was freaky. Not a lot of guys in the country can do that, just throwing off slime in the backfield sometimes. Uh, but consistency. Still gotta have it. 
And I think with another year of eligibility, he will be on his way back. So not his best game here against Oregon here. Oregon offense line, though. It's tough offense line. Oh, yeah. It's good interior. So no shame in uh, Penny Sewell, the whole offensive line is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Sterna, linebacker for Wick Forest, is a guy that's gotten some hype here and there. You. Start, yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. Gotten some hype here and there. He yeah. an 87.9 coverage grade to start the year in week one, but has slowly and surely been picked on. And you look at Florida State, he had a you know, game-high seven targets in his as the primary coverage defender. He allowed all seven to be completed for 91 yards and a touchdown. No passes defensed, three missed tackles, no defensive stops on this one. It was, oh no, three defensive stops, but still a very bad game for Stern on 34.2 overall too. grade. It, it was a not a good look for him. And this is a guy that when you highlighted him and he was earning high coverage grades to start, I mean, he earned a 69.7 plus coverage grade in each of the first four games. Yeah. After that, he started to struggle, but six foot three, 235 pounds. You start to buy into this guy's frames. He's that new age NFL linebacker mm-hmm. that can play well in coverage. He's athletic enough to hold his own against Florida State. Absolutely bodied. No. Yeah. I mean, it was just a bad game. It was a blip on radar i'm not in as in love with him as prospect as you were i still think he's he's probably a day three type of linebacker for me but uh the three missed tackles were ugly in this one Mm -hmm. and you you can't have that if you're so he's he's athletic but he's not uh you know he's not freakishly athletic he's not like a freak for the position he can move he can hold up well enough in coverage to play at the nfl level but yet if you're not that you better better not miss tackles True. if you're not you know you, you could miss tackles if you're Quan Alexander if you're uh what's it's Devin White last year mm-hmm. you can miss tackles when you're getting to plays that no one else should be making exactly. you can't miss tackles when you're not he's getting to plays that you should be making and then missing and then the tackle missing that's that's unfortunate <laughs> um all right that's going to do it for our pull one out segment where we're talking about the prospects that did not perform so well let's get on a lighter note rolling rooks the top Rookie performances from Week 7 in the NFL. We're going to start with the Oakland Raiders rookie running back, Josh Jacobs, having a career day, leading them to a 24-point loss. Oh, Mm. yeah, still didn't end up taking that win, but he forced a ton of missed tackles, gained yards after contact. He had that hit stick of Josh Jones that was fantastic. I tweeted that clip out. He had another stiff arm on a long run that I thought was great. But again, and I I don't mean to hammer this home. I I know know this is kind of like good but great, but... Josh Jacobs, you draft him in the first round. He has the best day, I think, you know, one of the better days a running back can have. And you still lose by 20 plus points because the quarterback play and the defense are so terrible. Yeah. It just, it really does put an exclamation point on the value of the running back position, the impact they can have at their highest. Yeah. No, 111 yards after contact. I mean, run blocking wasn't exceptional there mm-hmm. for Oakland. Uh, we said it going in, though. This was going to be a great opportunity for him. Green Bay doesn't play numbers against the run they, they they'll give you gaps uh to run through they're not going to load up the box by any means and so he had opportunities and i think we just saw what we expected to see which is josh jacobs one of the most elusive backs you know in the yeah. nfl already and i think that is kind of how it works so at the running back position you hit the ground as a rookie at your peak basically you should be if it's not happening for you as a rookie rarely does their you know proverbial light switch flip later on in your career at the running back position so this is what we should be seeing and Called him number one back in last year's class, and dude looks like dude looks like it. Still for sure. would really like to see him get more involved in in the pass in the passing game. I think he could get more involved as a receiver, but on the ground, I mean, this yeah, guy's especially one- with like Tyree Williams being out, like the, yes. the injuries to that receiving core, he's 
probably better than some of the receivers they're throwing out there at the moment. You look at through week seven, PFF's elusive rating metric. Josh Jacobs leads all running backs with at least 70 carries at 122.3. Then it goes Alvin Kamara at 109.2. Chris Carson at 99.3. He is up there with some of the bigger names in the NFL. I think the problem is, is that he needs some help. He's forcing a lot of his tackles because the run blocking is not fantastic. He's also getting a ton of opportunities, getting a ton of touches as the rookie in that offense. But I look at this, but I look at this elusive rating of the top six in elusive rating in PFF's metrics, all of them have at least 20 receptions. Mm-hmm. Josh Jacobs is the only one with nine. He has nine receptions. I think you do need to get him involved as a receiver, especially as you know, you're forcing the ball to Darren Waller, Foster Moreau, the seventh-round rookie or sixth-round rookie out of LSU, and you have no one outside head outside receiver. I think Josh Jacobs yeah. needs a bigger role in Oakland as a receiver. Um, now let's go to the Green Bay Packers. Same game. Elton Jenkins has a great game against a bad – let's just go ahead and preface this no, – a yeah. bad Raiders pass rush. Yeah, that kind of is how it works, though, with like the, some of the more the other guys are going to be saying on this list. Mm-hmm. Uh Usually, when you have a great game, it comes at the expense of someone else who's not very good. Yes. And so, uh, Elton Jenkins doesn't allow, or only allows one hurry, excuse me, uh, in this game. One of the best pass blocking grades of any guard this week. But yeah, it comes against the Oakland Raiders defensive interior. That's not great. But I think Elton Jenkins, for the entire season, has been very, very good at this point. Uh, not allowed a single sack or a single hit on the year. Only seven hurries. And so... Uh, we called him the number one interior offensive lineman, and we were uh, we were you know there were other people blessed. calling other guys, you know, Garrett Bradbury, other guys that were top yeah, interior Eric offensive lineman. We definitely did like Elton the best, mm-hmm. and I think he's playing uh, at a very high level. And he's also not playing at the position he played in college. So he, I guess that's not technically true. He played guard and center and tackle actually at Mississippi State, but last year played center, now playing left guard. Uh, for the Green Bay Packers and playing it at a high level, which that was the versatility that we loved as well coming out. And I think you saw it at the Senior Bowl. Can you imagine him. if they kicked Garrett Bradbury to guard to start this year rather than playing him center at NC State? I don't think, yeah, he'd be getting... It would be... be even uglier. Yeah. Um, let's go to a guy I don't think even a lot of people even know. Kevin Strong Jr., the UTSA prospect product that um, undrafted this past year. And he, he didn't you know, didn't have a great start to the season playing around 20 snaps a game, didn't earn a overall grade in any game above 50.0. But this past week, Against Minnesota, he earns a 90.3 overall grade, 85.1 against the run, three total pressures, two defensive stops, no missed tackles. This was a, a a very big performance for a guy that was flying under the radar for for right reasons. You saw, I mean, you saw how they were playing. Though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minnesota, Minnesota offensive line, but no, uh, I do think what I was impressed with was uh, of this three pressures. One came at three technique, one came at nose tackle, and then one came out over the tackle on the edge. So a little versatility there. I'm not sure where the Lions find these guys because Strong, even last year at UTSA, had a 66.5 pass rushing grade. Dude was not on our radar in wow. terms of even from a production standpoint at UTSA with who they were playing. He was not producing at a crazy high level, but all of a sudden comes to Detroit here, has this game uh, where he plays really well and looked good in those snaps. They did it with Deshaun Hand last year as well. I don't know how they're finding him because Deshaun Hand was not even starting at Alabama yeah. his last year there and all of a sudden came on and had the highest grade of any interior defender as a rookie. So something in the water in Detroit, I think. That sounds nice. Those uh, let's go to Georgia. Maybe Corner. in... Never mind. I, was gonna, I can't even make that joke. No. Let's go to Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker. I'm going to go and clap this guy up because this guy has had one of the worst starts he needs, yeah. to his rookie career. He earned a under 3.0 coverage rate in each of his first two weeks and really didn't really it was burnt even further this past week. Did not get torched. Three targets, Ooh, two receptions allowed, only 15 yards in coverage. Uh, he recorded a pass breakup as well. No missed tackles, two defensive stops, a 75.9 coverage grade for DeAndre Baker. 
You didn't get torched. It was against Arizona, which doesn't have a ton of receiving talent outside mm-hmm. right now. But again, you have to see it as a rookie. And I think you saw a little bit of it in this right. one. I, yeah. So the past couple of weeks uh, has not given up. So 15 yards this past this week, 35 the week before that. That's good. That's off. DeAndre yeah, Baker. I, I, I well, think the biggest thing I'm it, looking at. It's notice- just a transition. Yeah. It's always going to be a transition. Relying on rookie corners to me is always a risky proposition because uh, they're just so much different. And, and the one, it's sort of the, if you rely on a rookie edge defender, if he loses, uh, he doesn't get pressure and you can still win that play. You rely on a rookie cornerback, he loses. It could be an 80 yard touchdown. You yeah. could be screwed. So I, and he I allowed a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> in the first two weeks, he allowed it, you know, a 62 yard bomb, a 51 yard t- bomb. And then over the last one, his longest reception allowed 21 yards in the last five games here. And he, it's been trial by fire for him. He's played at least 30 coverage snaps in all of his games except for the first one. Well, 29 against in week seven. But this guy is playing a ton of snaps yeah, early. He wasn't coveted as a, a, as a rare athlete at Georgia. He's not mm-hmm. coming in with a ton of great tools. It was a lot of it was technique and physicality and things like that. And I think that moxie. transition, Moxie, moxie big, ton of Moxie. But again, this guy wasn't, you know, coming in. And I don't think was even on the same level mm-hmm. as some of the athletes in the NFL. I think he, he had yeah. to adjust on the fly, and you're, just to see it against Arizona, I think is a positive note mm-hmm. for sure for DeAndre. Let's go forward here. Our last kind of uh, rookie rolling rook in this segment, Jeffrey Simmons. First came back from the injury, back on the field, three total pressures. Yes, ninety point seven overall grade. Granted, Chargers offensive line, worst offensive line in the NFL. That he's going up against that happens. But if Feeney's out in the IR, yeah, so like wow, backups bad. for bad uh, offensive linemen are in there for the Chargers right now. Uh, but two stops, sack, a couple more hurries, uh, look good. I mean, uh, that's an encouraging start. You you got to beat up the bad ones first before uh, you know you can beat the good ones. But mm-hmm. yeah, so Jeffrey Simmons, we loved him coming out. Said probably would have been DT two if it weren't for the ACL injury for us. Uh, looks, I mean, looks what it looks healthy. That looked like the Jeffrey Simmons we saw last year at Mississippi State. Let's go to our blackout segment here. We're going to start on that defensive line again. Jerry Tillery has oh, not performed well he is, in he the slightest. A, he's he's the Garrett Bradbury of the defensive line yes. at this point in terms of just uh, he really shouldn't be out there. He's and, just getting hosed. Yeah. Uh, he just doesn't look like he belongs. Doesn't doesn't really know what he's doing against the run. Like that's the biggest thing. He's just he's not like taking on double teams correctly. I think he had a lot of freedom at Notre Dame last year to make plays. Doesn't quite have as much. Uh, this year for the Chargers and doesn't play necessarily assignment sound football at a, at a great level yet. We'll just Played say. a career high 43, 44 defensive snaps in a single game against Tennessee, 40.3 overall grade. It's a Tennessee interior that's been bad too. Yeah. Like they're, they're, for him not to do it there, uh, I'm worried. I'll just say Did that. Did have I'm three worried. pressures in this one, but against across 25 pass rush snaps, that's just not going to mm-hmm. do it. You need to perform better there. That's that's very important. Zero defensive stops. When you're playing that many snaps and you're not making yeah. an impact against I mean, the he has thing. two stops this year on 72 run defensive Man. snaps. He has not, not played well. No. He's not played well. Let's move forward before I start crying on air. Uh, Lonnie Johnson Jr. was horrendous. Oh, man. Yeah. Lion Johnson Jr. I mean, he was so bad they traded for, for his replacement like two days, a day later. They're just like, yep, you're done. Uh, no, but I mean, Lion Johnson Jr., to be fair, we didn't, he didn't play like, he didn't play that well last year at Kentucky. Like, mm-hmm. he was not a great, uh, he was not even a great college cornerback. He had the traits. He's tall. Uh, he's fast. Uh, he was not good at covering people. <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, I don't know like what you expected. Have, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, but so, so he didn't grade out well last year necessarily. Um, and then they draft him, I believe, in the second round and threw him right into the fire right away. It's just it's not been good for him for as bad as it was for DeAndre Baker. I think it's been 
uh, even worse for Lonnie Johnson Jr. this year because he hasn't shown it like at all. Imagine Bill O'Brien after that game, you know, went into this, pulled up his PFF elite subscription, <laughs> dove in nine of nine targets for 97 yards and four touchdowns. Now the Ebron touchdown, he was in True. coverage on. Yeah. Yeah. Give him a little pass, but mm-hmm. like some of those other plays, he just, it, that's been a theme for him all year long. He's given a pass rating of 129.9. They go out and get Gary on Conley because they just can't move forward like that. Yeah. They, they do four touchdowns on nine, no, oh, nine targets and 97 yards. Just not good. 29.8 coverage grade so far this year. That is so. horrendous. Mm. Let's go ahead and go to Chicago bears running back. Dave Montgomery. You got a guy who got a lot of hype from the fantasy community has not really panned out in that regard. He's still forcing missed tackles at a relatively high rate. He did that well at Iowa State, but mm. this was not a good game for the Bears back. Yeah, I had a fumble, uh, I believe, as well in this one. Uh, just, it, it, I, I still believe, I mean, I, I still think the missed tackles will come, but it's kind of concerning when he was a guy who didn't produce from a yards per carry standpoint. He broke a lot of tackles, but they didn't result in a lot of you know yards or big plays, even in college. And so for him to be, a, again, breaking a lot of tackles, but not uh, only averaging 3.3 yards per attempt, there might be some vision or just his running style might not be necessarily the most conducive to uh, churning yardage. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. All right, last, last blackout here, and we touched on a little bit um, on the uh, recently Noah Fant. Oh man! Oh my goodness! We were texting during that game. I don't know where <laughs> you were, but you should have been with me. Noah Fant. I was like, dude, what is going? Well, after the first drop, I was like, what is going on? That yeah. was one of the worst drops I've seen. And then it just happened again and again. And then he approaches the ball terribly. I don't think it was charted as a drop, but it probably could have yeah. been. Noah Fant's ball skills are legitimately awful. He look, and this is what I, I said this to you too, and I'll bring it up on the pod. It, it, Noah Fant drops passes, but doesn't drop concentration drops like an Amari Cooper yeah. or or what you saw with Edelman it, on Monday night. He drops passes because he approaches the ball with like his elbows out. And he's like somehow <laughs> thinking that's going to get grounded. And, and then it's also it's stuff that doesn't even go down as drops, but like he could have hauled in mm-hmm. that. Uh, other tight ends will haul in that he's just like not approaching the ball the right way. And then there's like contact and he, so he doesn't, the ball, the ball falls harmlessly to the turf, but it wasn't, doesn't get charged as a drop, but it definitely should have been a play that had been made. Uh, he had a couple of those in this one as well, only two drops, but had a couple more that he easily could have, or should have made plays on the ball. So only one catch for seven yards. And yeah, uh, there was some, I saw some tweets. Someone added uh, Mark Schlereth and said, you've been at Broncos practice. Have you ever actually seen him catch a football? Uh, which, it's a fair question to ask at this point. Yeah, it is. It really is. But <laughs> um, well, I think with Noah Fant, too, I think you say it best here. He just he approaches the ball poorly. Mm-hmm. He approaches the ball poorly to where dro- he drops a ton of passes. And also, I think he misses passes. Let's call it a miss. Mm-hmm. Misses passes that he could have caught that don't go down his drops because they don't hit his hands, but could have hit his hands at the least. Yeah. And I, even that, it's not a guarantee. But yeah. with Noah Fant, it's not been great. I know he's athletic. I know he's fast. But I remember when we were first watching the tape together with Noah Fant uh, and his Iowa tape we saw these same drops we saw these same ball skills issues and i think mm-hmm. it's crazy to see that's also already coming up in the nfl for the denver broncos last segment here i didn't even tease it to start the podcast but i guess this is just a little little treat bonus here fake id segment this is the two for one drafts podcast segment where we bring up an underclassman that will not be in the 2020 nfl draft but we would let into the bar we'd let that fake id slide through we'd let him go be draft eligible this is puka williams yes. kansas running back who is who's graded well in pff system a lot I mean, this is a guy that forces missed tackles with reckless abandon. Very, yeah. uh, very Kansas elusive. has a good football player. There's, yes, there's Kansas has a good football player. Talk to me about him. Yeah, Puka Williams is, to me, your modern scat back. The Tariq Cohen, that is Ooh. who he is. And he has good hands. Only one drop. And already 
through two years of Kansas or a year and a half, I guess, already has 50 catches. So uh, one drop on only 51 catchable passes. Uh, very elusive this past week against Texas. 25 carries, 11 broken tackles. A great scat back type of guy. Uh, I, I think he is... He is he will be a uh, he'll be a guy who skill set we would covet in mm-hmm. the NFL level because it is uh, it is something in terms of it affects the passing game yep. and it is good in space and those are two things that you want to be good at right nowadays in the NFL level. There are definitely some off field stuff with Puka Williams. I feel like why he's not brought up a ton, mm-hmm. but with, with, with just looking at what he's done on the field, a very elusive back, freakishly athletic, and I think with that, I think you said it best, like a Tyree Cohen type of guy who can come in, affect the passing game, be very elusive, and, and make plays, be explosive with the ball in yes. his hands. I think he's an interesting player, and if you're watching Kansas football, you got to watch someone. Puka is definitely the guy. Um, that's going to go ahead and do it for the Two for One Drafts podcast. Um, this has been Austin Gale and Mike Renner. Remember, we are streamed live on YouTube every Tuesday and Thursday, and you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thank you again, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Two for One Drafts.